en hartelike goeiemorgen, welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelik saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, jy woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na jy woord, en Psalm 119, 105 sê, jy woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat om die waarheid te vind en licht te schijn op die vraag uit die skrifte waarmee ek en jy mondtik kan worstel nie. Krijg dus gauw jou bybel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Gee jou geloof vleels, ontdek die lewe saam met 657 AM. En dis waar jy ingeskakel is, een hartelike, vriendelike radiokansel, goeiemorgen, baie welkom by die program Skrifteerlik, en lekker om saam met jou, kan jy dit geloof dit, reen hier in Pretoria, dis koute, natte, buiten die ateliers, en allemaal praat oor die weer, iets waar niemand iets kan doen nie, and all sniffing and sniving, sitting on that side, my brother in Christ, Rocky made it here, all the way safely, by God's grace, from Benoni, how you keeping Rocky? Very well, thank you, Vainant. Wonderful to have you yeah. The studio is nice and warm today and yeah. I'm not going to complain about that. No, we're not complaining about nice warm studios. Our hearts are nice and warm but that's for the gospel for our Lord and Savior mm. Jesus Christ. Right, this is where you grab a pen and paper. Krijg jou pen en papier by die hand. As jy een vraag het, wat, Rocky, can you see it? Betsy Niemand, you're right there uh, at the, out of the blocks at the ring of the bell. You're out of the blocks. So, bless your heart. We'll see that we get to your question as well. Anne, luisteraars, wat reeds een vraag ingestuur het en as jy een vraag wil instuur na die program Skrifteerlik hier is die nommer 082-657-2729 ouwe to 657-2729 can I kindly ask that you uh, put the scripture there which you make a reference of, which you try and understand, of uh, die vraag as het een leefstijl vraag is, net vir ons in detail uittik uh, moet nie voice note stuur nie moet nie bel nie, ons werk net met die whatsapps en uh, sit vir ons die skrifgedeeltes in as jy vraag het oor een skrif, iemand het iets ergens gesê wat nie vir jou sin maak nie dan uh, stuur jy dit vir ons asjeblief 082-657-2729 en ons hanteer het met liefde so vir die volgende 50 minute in hierdie program, so jy sal vir jou moet roer, ek en Rocky het vir jou gebid en as jy vanochtend net een luisteraar is, net een stille toehoorder kan ek vir jou vraag om te bid vir ons hier in die atelier, dat dit wat ons deel, nie vlees is nie maar gees sal wees uit die hart van Abba Vader, dat ons getrouw sal wees in die woord van die Heere, so, so belangrijk. Rocky, uh, apart from Betsy, other questions that we received this morning, it's a short program, let's kick off with it. Somebody who said, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, here's the question, is Jesus' name actually Yeshua uh, from the Hebrew, and we disrespecting him when we calling him Jesus, or worse yet, we are giling, uh, we are guilty of idol worship and breaking the commands of God to not take his name in vain. Exodus 20 and verse 7. What do we say to this person? How do we handle this? Is there answer out of God's word? And and can I add to that? With a name like Vainant, 
I've been called wine hand. I've been called all sorts. Of, if I go to Italy, my name is still Vainam, no matter how you pronounce it. Hmm. Keep that in mind. When we search the scriptures here this yeah. morning, what do we answer this listener? Yeah, according according to the scriptures, I think it's it's helpful to to think through this question in a number of ways. But while the name Jesus is the English translation or what's called the transliteration of the Greek word Jesus, uh, which in turn is also a transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Yeah. So. It's important to note that the pronunciation of Jesus' name is not a magical incarnation or a superstitious practice that pleases God or saves someone. And so that's helpful to put out there. It's not like you're rubbing a, a genie bottle because you've said something a certain way. In fact, the Bible itself doesn't give any specific instruction or requirement regarding the pronunciation of God's name or the name of Jesus. The third commandment in Exodus 20 verse 7 states this, You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Uh, this commandment is a warning against using God's name in a disrespectful or a irreverent way, but it does not specify how to pronounce the, the word for God or the name of God. And so furthermore, in the New Testament, we see the apostles and the early church and early Christians using a variety of names and titles for our Lord Jesus, including Christ, Lord, Son of God, the Savior, and others as well, other names as well. So this, this shows us the important thing is not specific pronunciation of Jesus' name, but rather the belief and faith in who he is and what he has accomplished on the cross. If we have to take it to now some legalistic way that we say the name, we're starting to, to, to move into dangerous territory. So in addition, it's important to remember that God is not limited to any one language or culture. And no, that's he helpful. is the God of you know, the language. You, even when you're saying the word Vainant, Vainant yeah. um, in different languages, etc., he's the creator of all things, and he understands every single language. And every kind of dialect that is spoken by humanity. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see examples of people communicating with God in various languages. Another language even today is, that is a universal type of a language is sign language for deaf people, for example. But now including Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic within the scriptures and, and others. But we, we must not be found insulting the intelligence of God in thinking that he can only listen to us when we say or pronounce his name in a certain way. That would be to treat God like a genie in a bottle and not like the sovereign God over all. And so as we look back even to Genesis 11, which is where the languages, where we first get the inclination of languages in the Bible, what a fascinating chapter to go and look at in Genesis 11. We see the pride of humanity leading to the building of the Tower of Babel. And then God disrupts their language to prevent their unity in their sin. And this shows us that while language is an important tool for communicating to communities and within a community, it should not be used to elevate ourselves above others or even to boast in our own abilities. Oh, I've said it this way or that way. And so furthermore, in Revelation 7 verse 9, what a wonderful passage that is. It says this in Revelation 7 verse 9, a multitude from every nation. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands 
This demonstrates that God's plan of salvation is not limited to one or any specific language group or culture, but it's available to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So God takes joy even in this marvelous salvation in which he brings to all people. And once more, not at a Tower of Babel, but under himself as the Christ. And so in summary to that, while while the name that we use to refer to Jesus is important, it's not the most important thing. What truly matters is our faith in Jesus and the salvation that he offers us through his death and his resurrection. And in our communication with God, we can use any language that we're comfortable with. We do, you speak a home language of Afrikaans. Yeah, I speak I a home language of English. Yeah. Others speak funny galore. Um, yeah. you know, there's, there's so many different languages in this world. But knowing that he understands us perfectly, and he knows even the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts, he knows what we've, what's behind our communication. Yeah. Sometimes we can't even communicate the way that we want to. And the Spirit of God within us even groans, and we groan yeah, with, right. uh, with creation, as Romans 8 tells us. You know, so he knows all of this. He knows perfectly. He understands us perfectly. He knows what our heart motive is when we say Jesus or or Jesus or Yeshua. He, he knows deeper than what we even know. And, and the biggest thing is that are we trusting in his finished work, the finished work of Jesus at the cross, in his death, in his resurrection from the grave? So to, to answer the listener's question, calling Jesus by the name Jesus is not disrespectful or a violation of the commandment to not take God's name in vain. Rather, it's through our faith in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross that we are saved and brought into a relationship with God. All right, so I've put the scripture up on the board because another question uh, that came through as well is, uh, what does it then mean that the letter kills but the spirits give life? Can we can we say it in the same breath? I think it's Second Corinthians three and verse six. Uh, that whether it's, uh, I, I mean, there's a religion that calls him Isa. We call him Jesus. Other people call him uh, Jesus. So uh, can we say that this scripture applies, Second Corinthians 3, 6, that the letter kills? It's the spirit that gives life? Yeah, I, I think we, we, we could because what, what happens is you land up in this legalistic frame of, of mind where you start making rules that are not um, God's rules at all. For example, yeah. in in this pursuit of this, there's a movement that pursues this kind of a thinking, and it really seeks to reconnect Christianity with its with its Jewish roots, and it's gained traction in the late 20th century, and particularly among some evangelical and charismatic circles. Yeah. And although there's no single founder or central authority figure for this, there's proponent teachers and leaders such as Michael Rood, uh, Brad Scott, Rico Cortez, and in South Africa, some proponents of this movement are men like um, Arthur Bailey and Eddie Chum- Chani, uh, Chumney, C H U M N E Y, and others that are less prominent that kind of uphold this and have popularized the movement like this one, which which kind of then makes this big thing about what specific word do you use, how do you pronounce that word, yeah. um, keeping up with some of these things, and and what they've done even with that in this movement in particular, they it includes some of keeping of the Torah and of the Old Testament commandments, which is kind of this letter that kills, but the Spirit is the one that gives life, yeah. and this observing of Jewish. Feasts and festivals and the studying of the Hebrew culture and language, which there's 
not all of that's necessarily bad. And I yeah. think that's helpful to put it out there as well. So there's a value in studying the historical and the cultural context of the Bible. The New Testament teaches us that Christians are no longer bound by the law. Another passage that is in line with Second Corinthians 3, 6 would be Galatians 5, verse 1. And, and the ultimate goal of the law was to point us to Christ, as Romans 10, verse 4 says. And also, if, if we read Romans 10, verse 4, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Yeah. So therefore, it is important to caution, uh, to be cautious, really, of some of the legalistic and then that extra-biblical teaching that is associated with movements like this one, which can become very cult-like in their, in their practices, they, they, they heap this undue emphasis on the observance of Jewish traditions and practices to the detriment of the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ alone and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Yeah. So we're not saved by the works that we do, by our works, but we are saved by the perfect work of Jesus on our behalf. Or the way how we pronounce a word exactly. or what words we use. Yeah. We, we, we are saved by good works, but just not our own, yeah. by Jesus' good works yes, and what so. he did at the cross. Yeah. And, 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 and so this, this idea of this religious legalism that kind of comes from keeping the law, you can't keep the law. That's part of the point of the law. You need a savior. That's one of the reasons that the law existed. It drove us towards the fact that we need a, a perfect Savior. And as the Apostle Paul warns in, in Colossians 2 verse 8, Christians should really be those that see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world and not according to Christ. Even when you look at something like this movement in particular that has taken place, it, it started in the 20th century. And if you look at it from a historical perspective, this is a movement of men, not necessarily, it's not a movement of God. That doesn't mean that there isn't a, uh, that there isn't some benefit in particular in studying the history, studying the Hebrew language. I've done that myself personally. Yeah. I've done um, extensive work on the Hebrew language. And, and it's a joy. And it's a joy to look at the feasts. And it's a joy to see the way that they were fulfilled in Christ. And to see that there's the Feast of Booths that's still to be fulfilled yeah. in Zechariah 14. That's not, that's not bad. But the problem is when you make this legalistic kind of a we need to reinvent the way that the Jews have done Judaism and we need to disregard anything that Christians have done since Acts chapter 2, that is a problem. And that's what, um, in a sense, is even guilty of replacement theology. And then it downplays the importance of the church and it elevates these Jewish practices that aren't even played out the same way that the Jews have these practices among and, and then they ignore even Christian practices. That is rooted in pride. And it's based on lies. And that's important to say. So it's important to note that not all Christians who are interested in Hebrew roots are part of that type of a movement necessarily. Because we're interested in that. When we're studying the Bible, we're interested in what our... And we've come from this Judeo-Christian worldview in many respects. And then not all of those that are part of a movement like that necessarily hold to all of the same beliefs or the practices. It may be that some are in there that actually truly believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior and the one that has saved them and it's his works and it's his person that has saved them and that they do not take kind of that legalistic element to it. But as with any kind of a religious movement, there's often a wide range of diversity within that type of a grouping. So however, Christians must always keep their focus on Jesus Christ as the center of their faith and as the source of their salvation.
Yeah, it sets us apart ultimately because, uh, you know, as you said, the legalism, it's, there's a lot of pride involved. Uh, I'm just thinking on, uh, and, and I'm stepping out on thin ice here, but even in our own dispensation in South Africa, we talk about which church are you from? Yes. You know, uh, I don't find denomination in the Bible. Mm. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm of this de- denomination, you're of that denomination. So, so surely yeah. somebody must be wrong somewhere, yeah. Yeah. somehow. And it's a sort of a legalism and pride that comes with, with that sort of thing. Definitely, definitely. It? I think we, um, it is important to be able to distinguish and to be able to say this is why I am at an independent Baptist church or why I am at a Gereformde Evangelist church church or you know and you're able to think through those things but as soon as we start to elevate ourselves in pride or make it as though we are saved because we are part of that group that's when it starts to become a cult yeah the moment that i as an independent baptist look at a methodist or as a presbyterian or at an anglican and go um because i'm an independent baptist you're now going to hell because you're not an independent baptist then i have started to elevate the fact that i'm part of the independent baptist movement in south africa as the same height as what the perfect finished work of Jesus at the cross has been. And that's the problem. However, I wouldn't say that we need to reject denominationalism and looking at the, at the wonder of history and the way that this has worked out. And, you know, if you understanding some of the beauty of why you, you hold to what you hold to, I don't think that's wrong necessarily. For example, next to being a Christian, I love being a Baptist because there's such rich history to being a Baptist. There's wonderful principles like the autonomy of the local body or like the priesthood of every believer or, or like the liberty of the saint or the, the headship of Christ over the church. So there's, or the, the 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 heavy emphasis on the scriptures, you know. Now that doesn't mean that every Baptist holds the same views as, as what I yeah. would in, yeah. in necessarily. But if I start to say that that's what you need to be saved, there's a problem. Then I'm starting to add a legalistic view to it. Yeah. So if we're thinking about the biblical truths of the gospel, at the heart of the gospel is the belief that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again on the third day. This is the good news of salvation that is offered to all people, regardless of their background or their upbringing or the dom- denomination that they that they part of. Yeah. And so one of the key Bible verses that speaks to this truth is found in Romans 10, 9 to 13, which says, but if we confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right. It doesn't add anything to that. Yeah. That's Wonderful. what it says. Yeah. Right. Uh, with that, we walk down uh, and step away from that. Uh, thank you so much for that question. Interesting. And ultimately, you need to search your heart. You need to search the scriptures. And if you're confused about it, you really need to do some more study on it. I want to touch on something else that uh, we also received here in stereo, and it's with regards to videos that's cropping up on the uh, on the internet all over the place. Let's just, I don't want to name the guy, because that is not the issue, but we have seen in the past many uh, individual that says, well, the Antichrist is here. He's on the world stage. He is here now. And with the crowning of a, a very well-known guy recently, there's a lot of people that says, well, finally, the Antichrist is here now. I don't even want to mention his name because it is not about him. It's the accusation that this individual is now the Antichrist based on certain things that is happening uh, in his sphere of operation. Uh, 
what do we say to people who, who, who stand up and say, well, I've seen this video. Yeah, I agree with it. Daddy is the Antichrist. Surely it's not the first time that has happened. What do we answer a listener like that, uh, Rocky? Yeah, and um, I think there's a lot of sensationalism around at the moment. And, and let me be clear. Claims that King Charles is the Antichrist are completely unbiblical and sensationalism. And, and it's sensationalistic. In fact, the Bible warns us to not speculate about the identity of the Antichrist, but to focus on our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And this That's is it. a massive distraction. Yeah. That's what it is. And it just wastes your YouTube bandwidth <laughs> as such. Okay. In First John 2 verse 18, this is what God's Word says. Children, in the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. For this we know that it is the last from this we know that it is the last hour. So while we don't know who the Antichrist will be, we do know that there are many Antichrists. Give that scripture again. That is first John, first uh, John two verse eighteen. All right. First John two verse eighteen. So there are many Antichrists yes. of which King Charles is a Antichrist because he's not well pro-Christ. being accused of. Yes, I mean he's not he's not the Antichrist yeah. that the Bible tells us is coming yeah. into the world. Yeah. He's somebody who has, in his own words, even shown that he does not hold to the same gospel as what we hold to. And verse First uh, John two verse twenty two says this: Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. As Christians, we're not called to look for the Antichrist, but to look up to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 24, verse 42. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. So that's what we're meant to be looking for. We're, as Christians, meant to be looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus. That's one of the things we do when we assemble corporately as the assembly of believers on the Lord's Day. One of the reasons we do that is because Jesus rose from the dead. Another reason that we do that is because we look forward to the fact that Jesus is coming again. And we're meant to be Christians in our day until that time takes place. So let us focus on our relationship with Jesus and be ready then for his return. It's important to remember that born-again, spirit-filled Christians will not experience the tribulation or see the rise of the Antichrist. The Bible tells us clearly in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 to 17, that believers will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air before the tribulation period begins. The events of Revelation 13, which is where we see the coming of the Antichrist, and And even when we're thinking about the coronation of King Charles earlier on in in May, they're not even related to what we see in Revelation 13. So to say that he is the Antichrist, it's just a, that's just fully wrong. To be the beast rising from the sea to appear out of nowhere on, on the world scene, that's what we see in Revelation 13. It will not come from some old unpopular prince that hardly anybody likes him. I mean, nobody, a lot of people even in England don't like the man, but rather a figure who captures the world's attention and their imagination. The Bible is clear that the Antichrist will not be revealed until the time is right. And we read in Second Thessalonians 2 verse 3 to 4 
that as Christians, we are not called to speculate about who the Antichrist might be, but to remain faithful and obedient to God, knowing that our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. That's what we're meant to be enthralled about. That's what we should be sending to each other in videos or in um, WhatsApp messages. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We're so excited about this. And so, in short, we shouldn't be looking for the Antichrist, but rather focusing our relationship with Jesus or focused on our relationship with Jesus and living out that faith. So let's not be swept up by sensational claims and instead of staying grounded in biblical truth. Oftentimes you see that this is just moving us towards having fear instead of faith and that we need to reject. All right. So that's in short. Uh, I think uh, you've said it ample times this morning. Jesus, the center of our lives, everything you do, everything you say should be about the Lord Jesus Christ. Unashamedly so, we proclaim on the airwaves of this radio station that Jesus is God. This is where you send us a uh, WhatsApp. If you've got a question, skriftierlik, uh, stuur vir ons a WhatsApp 082, that's on the Vodacom network, 082-657, the frequency on which we broadcast, 657, then the number 2, and then 729. Our sister station down in the Cape, let's put it together, 082-657-2729, and uh, we'll see if we can tackle those uh, questions. Rihanna Nell, a song called Be the Center of My Life. Send those questions in. Uh, if it's touching on a scripture, please mention the scripture. And uh, when we come back, we'll look at some more of your questions that you forwarded to us this morning. Oh, wait, two, six, five, seven, two, seven, two, nine. Yeah, what an incredible song. Uh, Rihanna Nell, uh, be the center of my life, Lord Jesus. I pray in heart uh, this morning. You turn to scriptural, scriptural, totemite, 12 feet From your ear, to your heart, to your mouth, to your feet. Join this life on 657 AM. Yeah, you got that from your ear, to your heart, to your mouth, to your feet. Uh, join the life on 657 AM. With me in studio, Pastor Rocky Stevenson, uh, Benoni Bible Church. You want to be in touch with him, you can send him an email, pastor at benonibiblechurch.co.za, and be in touch with him. I know he is... Uh, uh, hard at work there. It's got the it's got the congregation to shepherd, and also lots of other pokers in the fire. So uh, uh, hmm, don't keep him too busy if you write him a email. Betsy, niemand, bye, dankie, work for you. Betsy, wat vir ons een vraag gestuur het, sê sê, die Bijbel, een volgende vraag in die Bijbel, kan jylle dit asjeblief verduidelik? Ek wil het so uitdruk, as een alternatieve leefstijl. Toch in hierdie tyd waar ons thans lewe, is daar soveel mense met een alternatieve leefstijl, wat hulle self dan ook christene noem. Hoe werk dit? Verduidelik asjeblief, hoe ons daar oor moet dink. Wat is ons verantwoordelikheid teen oor hier die mense? So Rocky, uh, on a free translation here, she's talking about people who is, uh, no matter what God's word says, has got their own lifestyle, do life their own way, have an alternative lifestyle, and yet call themselves a Christian. What are we to do? How are we to treat these people? How does it work, says Betsy? Uh, can you please explain according to the word of God and what is our responsibility towards these people? Mm. What does the word of God answer us with regards to that? Yeah, I want to sensitively as best um, answer that. I know that this refers in particular to sexual preferences and sexual ways of living. 
And God created, when he created mankind, we've got to go back to the original authority. And the original authority is the one who created us. He is the creator, God, our father, who created us. We are the creature. And as the creature, we turn to the creator for his mandate on how we ought to live. And he has the final say and he has the authority on how we must live. And he tells us what is right and what is wrong. We know that what is wrong has consequences that lead toward death. And we know that that which is right leads toward righteousness and leads us toward Christ. God created in the beginning mankind, male and female, as mentioned in Genesis 1, 26 to 31. And I'll read that. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You'll notice even in verse 26 that God never gives man dominion over himself. He gives him dominion over creation, but not over himself as the creator. So he still has the right to say, this is how I made mankind. This is the mandate that I give mankind. And so God created man in his own image. This is verse 27 of Genesis. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So here we see the creation ordinance. Part of why God made them male and female is that they would go forth and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given to you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree with its fruit in the tree in the tree yielding seed. It shall be food for you and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and everything that creeps on the earth which is which has life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw that all that he made, all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. What changes just after this in Genesis chapter 3 is that man sins. And when sin comes in, so confusion comes in. And man decided, I want to be independent of what God has said. I want to go my own way. I, I, I want to make a reference, a reference here. I think it's Jeremiah seventeen nine that says the heart is dark. Who knows the depths to which it can fall? I mean, sin has got many names there, but the, the darkness of it. No wonder the Bible says, and I think it's one of the most profound scriptures where it says God regretted for making man, isn't it? Yeah, that's um, uh, that Hebrew word nachem. It's actually an interesting word, and and one of my professors at seminary um, actually did a, a whole doctoral thesis on that word. This nachem. idea of nachem, yeah, this regretting of God, and wow. the the emotion behind it, and yeah. um, and indeed mankind is so sinful, and that's Genesis chapter six. He, yeah. he sees mankind has every thought and intention of his heart is to do evil continually. Terrible, and that's a horrible reality. And so so even as we think about this creation ordinance and we go back to even what our Lord Jesus says, because it's one thing if we go back to Genesis and say, okay, but that's what God, how God created it. Yeah. Does God still intend that we would accept God's binary version of mankind and woman or man and woman? And, and yes, the answer is yes, because the Lord Jesus even goes back to creation and he still has the same standard. And so does the New Testament. Mark 10 verse 6 to 9 says this, but from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And what do we see in today's world? We see this desire from mankind 
to separate that which God has put together and to go a different way than what God has put in his word. And so the distinction between genders is incredibly significant, and it reflects God's design for the human relationships. And that's not my words. That's the whole weight of the scriptures behind it. Marriage, as defined in Genesis 2, verse 24 to 25, is this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's model of of a, let's say, the godly design for the sexual unity within humanity is within that monogamous relationship between a husband and his wife. So it's intended to be an exclusive and a lifelong union between a natural man and a natural woman. The man is called to loving leadership, while the woman in her role is called towards um, compatible support. And this understanding of marriage then aligns with this theological perspective that is given throughout the scriptures. And so with regard to alternative lifestyle, we we refer to specific biblical passages. Leviticus 18 verse 22, if you want to take that down as a note, Leviticus 20 verse 13, they state that this alternative acts are considered sinful according to the scriptures. Additionally, we have Romans 1 verse 26 to 27, as well as 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 to 11. They indicate that these ulterior and alternative kind of lifestyle or behaviors, they go against God's intended design for human sexuality. Mm, yeah. So it's essential to recognize that from this perspective, it, re- it re- re- represents a specific theological viewpoint that is, is biblical. That's what, that's what we're saying, and that's why this program is called Skriftierlik, because we're going back to what the Bible says about yes. this. This isn't just our view. We're aligning ourselves with what God has said in his word. And different Christian denominations and even individuals may have different interpretations and understandings of biblical oh, passages, yeah. but that doesn't mean that they're right with that. We've got to go back to the source, yeah. who is the creator of all things. So when discussing this this topic, we... We, we need to realize that there must be a sensitivity, and, and the, the reality is that there is a Savior for sinners. Yes. That's the beautiful message that there is. We're so broken in this world in so many different ways, but God in his mercy has reached down and he has given a Savior for sinners. And much of what our heart's desire is, even when we have perversions in our pursuits and we have sinful ways, is we desire really an intimacy with God. And that's the, that's the root cause for any form of sexual deviation according to God's word. What we do often is we are guilty of idolatry and then immorality follows hot on the heels of idolatry because we bow down to the creature and we say, this creature now is God. And that's the real root cause of this issue wow. is there's a heart issue where we are, we are in pride, but there's also a desire in us that Satan then even gives a lie for that desire. You know, there's a, a lovely book, and I can't remember exactly who wrote it, but it might come to me while I'm speaking. But it, it, it highlights the fact that we have been made with longings. God makes us with biblical longings. But then what happens is we accept lies to fulfill those longings. Mm. There's an intimacy issue. Wherever there is a sexual sin in us, there's an intimacy issue. There's yeah. this desire to actually... Against the pornography, yeah, all these pornography other in particular. All I mean, there's there's this desire that's there to have this this walk with the Lord, yeah. 
but actually we fill it in a wrong way. Mm. And there's an intimacy problem that we have. So I hope that this sheds some light onto some of this. And our this. responsibility towards people with us, uh, uh, to pray for them, pray Definitely. for the conversion and, of hearts. And, 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 and you know, um, it's no different yeah. than to any other individual, yeah. is that we share the gospel yeah. and we uphold Christ and yeah. we have the hope of the world for All them. Right. And so I would also reject what is often seen in, in some circles even of this hatred mm-hmm. that, the, that is there. Yeah. That there should never be hatred for any human being that has been made in the image of God. What we've got to realize is that we live in an absolutely broken world with yeah. broken people around us that are in need of a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you very much uh, for that one. And uh, Betsy, bless your heart. I hope that answers your question. Bye, thank you. That you it for us. Linda has got a very interesting one right there at the top. Uh, Rocky, if you can see it. And uh, I just need to confer with him. Yeah, yes, yes. Let's go for that one. Uh, Linda, bless your heart. She says, good morning, Vailant and Rocky. Does it mean, according to the scriptures... Dot, 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 that we all sleep. Listen to the choice of words. That we all sleep in the grave and not go directly to heaven or hell. Then there's a notion that when we die out of the body, present with God. But what does that mean? Where does this whole sleep notion come in? And what does it mean when we look at the scriptures? Linda, thank you so much for that one. Just to give uh, Rocky some chance to uh, get scriptures, uh, to look at the scriptures for that. If you've got a question, we've literally got eight minutes left. Send it through to 082-657-2729. And uh, get it through to us. We'll see if we can make a plan and squeeze it in. Mm. What do we answer, Linda? Yeah, so um, I, I've done a sermon series through the book of Thessalonians. And I've actually, if, if you want to go and look for that on my YouTube, well, not mine, on the church's YouTube channel, I believe it will be there under First Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 14. I see Linda and, made um, reference of that there. There yeah, you and, can see it. And that's also um, where... Um, and so it will also be found on sermon audio, I believe, as well. So if you're looking for the sermon audio link for it, it's a very helpful section to look at. And the concept of sleeping when we die, we, we find referenced in the Bible, and it suggests a, a temporary state of rest for the body in particular. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so that body is resting because, you see, the Christian has already died with Christ. And so the death that they go through isn't the same kind of death as the unbeliever that that dies um, because the unbeliever dies twice. The, 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 the born again, phrase it this way, the, the believer is born twice and dies once. The unbeliever is born once and dies twice. Wow. And that's what we see throughout the scriptures because for the believer, we are born again. And that moment of being born again is where we have identified with Christ and we have died with Christ and now we live with Christ. And so the reference of this idea is found in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 to 14. And the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers and he says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You see, so there's this hope of a future resurrected body, 
And that happens in the context of Thessalonians at the rapture of the church, where the dead in Christ rise first. And so you receive your glorified bodies at the rapture. And then we take part in the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so the immaterial part of man, which is the soul-spirit part of man, is then absent from the body and present with the Lord, but it's present with the Lord in this hope that Jesus is going to return to the earth. And when he returns and he raptures the church, the dead in Christ first rise and you receive your glorified bodies before. And so this is the concept that we see. And he continues there in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 and 14. And he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so there's this concept for us. When Jesus comes back, because of his resurrection, he brings with him all those who have fallen fallen asleep. Those ones, those souls, the spirit, soul, immaterial part of man, come with Christ for the rapture of the church. They receive then their glorified bodies. And that's where this concept of the sleep comes from. And this term, asleep here, is used metaphorically, really, to describe that the physical death of the believer that is so different to the physical death of the unbeliever. And it signifies also a temporal state of rest until that resurrection body is received. It's important also to note that this metaphorical language doesn't imply that the soul of believers are unconscious or inactive during this period. They're very active. They're with Jesus. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. That Second Corinthians 5, verse 6 to 8 says this, where the Apostle Paul says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That's the reason that we have to have such hope here. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So there's a concept there to, to grab a hold of. For the Christian to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Paul says it. We'd actually rather be absent from the body. But even in that absent of, from the body state, Know this. I mean, this is one of the reasons that we take part in the Lord's Supper. We took part in that at Benoni Bible Church this last Lord's Day. We remember the fact that Jesus even said, I'm going to drink this with you one day in paradise. This cup, when the whole church is brought in, and that's at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so we have grand hope as we look forward to the fact that we will have these resurrected bodies. And so according to this passage as well, Paul affirms that when believers are absent from their earthly bodies, they present with the Lord. And this indicates that, that there's such a difference for the believer when it comes to death. Believers enter into the presence of God and they're conscious and they are they intimate in their walk with the Lord. They are with him. This is most glorious for us to, to even think about. And so while there may be there may seem to be this tension between this concept of sleeping and being present with the Lord, it also shows that we're at rest. When we're with the Lord, we're at rest. That's why Paul says in, um, I believe, I almost said 1 Corinthians, but it's Romans chapter 7. He says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And it's in reality, when we die, because the sting of death is removed, we then present with the Lord. There's this temporary state of rest or sleep that can be understanding that metaphorical kind of a sense. We're resting. We're with him. We're no longer struggling in this earthly tent. We give up this earthly tent for a, a, a building, a, yeah. a real a place to, to have rest. Um, it's also crucial to remember that our understanding of the afterlife is very limited. And that's 
That's why the Bible uses, uses metaphorical kind of a language. And also the details of what even transpires when we die, it's, it's just it's beyond our comprehension, really. And so the Bible uses language that, that helps us to try and understand it as best as what, what we can understand it. And I, I think something that comes close in my own mind is whenever I've gone in for an operation, I've had a number of operations where they put anesthetic on you. And, um, and I mean, you just go to sleep. And then next thing you're awake and you have no idea what happened in that in that moment. And yeah. there's, you know, that that's a, in a way, something of this kind of like, it's so different than what we know. So nevertheless, the Bible also assures us that the believer can have hope and confidence in the eternal presence and fellowship with the Lord. So I hope that that helps explain some of the question and bring light on the topic a bit further. Right, uh, Linda, I hope that answers it for you. Bless you. Thank you so much for taking part in this program. And those, you ask it, you can for a steer. 0826572729. Rocky, not sure if we have enough time. Matthew 10.16. want to take you to Matthew 10.16. With the whole hate speech bill that's uh, talked about, much talked about in our Christian uh, environment, in our Christian on our Christian platforms all over the place on social media. Um, Matthew ten sixteen and many a time we make mention of uh, this year at the radio station as well. What does it mean? Do we have enough time? Can we talk about it? We've literally got two minutes. What yeah. does it mean? Why is a serpent harmless as doves, even when it comes to the hate speech bull? Does that apply or doesn't it apply? How do we look at the scriptures? Mm. How do we share the word of God? And what does that scripture mean? Matthew ten sixteen. Yeah. Why is this a serpent? harmless. I think the NIV says shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove. Yes, yes. Shrewd as a snake, innocent as a dove. That's, that's yeah. So in, 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 in that verse, Jesus again uses metaphorical language like we had earlier on with this idea of sleep and he uses this metaphor to describe this environment and the, the, the challenging environment that his disciples would be in in this world, as you've made mention. They compared to sheep which are very vulnerable and defenseless. Yeah. You think of a sheep. Even amongst wolves. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're defenseless, vulnerable, yeah. Yeah. while the world around them is likened to wolves. And so that's, what, that's the world that the Christians are in. And it, and it really, the world is hostile and potentially even dangerous. They will be in opposition to us. We yeah. can actually expect that. Jesus um, said that. First Timothy even, uh, Paul says that he who seeks to live a godly life will be persecuted. Yeah. I believe it's in First Timothy 5. Yeah. Uh, speak under correction, though. I haven't looked it up. The instruction to be as shrewd as snakes implies that the disciples should exercise great amounts of wisdom, and they should use discernment. They should be prudent in, in what they do. They, yeah. uh, in, in, in all of their interactions with the world that is around them, they realize in this reality, they like sheep amongst wolves, so how do we behave? We need to be shrewd. We need to be wise. We need to be thinking about these things. We, we're encouraged even then to navigate the challenging circumstances with a lot of thoughtfulness, uh, not being naive about the fact that this is the reality that we're yeah. going to face, and then also not being easily deceived. Yeah. You've got to know that even the concept of wolves um, is used towards false teachers yeah. in the New Testament. Yeah, very much so. And so we've got to be careful that we're not deceived by the world into believing the lies of the world or believe, you know, for example, we might come into a session where we, where we, where we have certain world events happen 
that then cause us to now become shaky in our hermeneutics. Yeah. We mustn't believe what the world tells us about the Bible. We must believe word. what the Bible says. And so furthermore, the command to be as innocent as doves speaks to the disciples' character as well as their conduct. They need, they need to be above reproach. They need to have a pure conscience in everything that they do as they follow the Lord Jesus. So it emphasizes the importance of maintaining moral integrity, purity of heart, the genuine desire to do good. And to keep on doing good. And it suggests that they should be remain steadfast in their commitment towards God's truth and towards exhibiting righteousness in their actions. And so when we consider the hate speech legislation, it's important to recognize just the balance, I guess, that we, that we should be struck with in, in between our freedom of speech and then the responsibility to promote a respectful and inclusive society. And so there must be that balance. There must be that, that um, carefulness. But we are in this, a position at the moment as Christians where, where I think that persecution is around the corner. It is. And I guess yeah. I, would, I would want to encourage Christians as followers of Jesus to, to in, in light of what you've asked with this question, to, to be as shrewd and as innocent even in this. We must engage in conversations surrounding this in a way that will not dishonor Christ. We, we should exercise wisdom and discernment in our speech. We should choose our words carefully. We want to promote understanding and respect and love, and we've got to be careful indeed. And so it's a good passage to think about regarding the hate speech bill. And so we've come to the end of this program. Bless your heart, Rocky Stevenson. People want to email you, pastor at bononibiblechurch.co.za. Still the same address? That's it. Yeah. That's it. Thank God you. bless you. Drive home safely. Regards to your beautiful family, your congregation. Looking forward to next week, God willing. And uh, thank you so much for nice. your heart being shrewd uh, as a dove, dove as, a, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a dove, and as a wolf, as, as, shrewd as a snake. As a, shrewd as a dove, as gentle as a snake. Sting like a butterfly. Kiss like yeah. a bee. Okay. God bless you, thank my you. brother. Keep well. Yes.